Good to see you all. Some of you maybe aren't always here on Wednesday nights. We're glad you're here. See, it isn't that bad. <laughs> we love you to come out on Wednesday. We really have great crowds on Wednesday night. It is amazing uh, how the turnout has been. So uh, we love our midweek study. Um, we continue our study through the Pentateuch, and we're in smack dab in the middle of Leviticus. And so uh, I happened to hit a chapter, verse, chapter 12 will be in that, and it only has eight verses, and we just have a short little study tonight for the next half an hour, and then we'll start our family meeting. So I thought I would take on this very challenging little eight verses. Uh, so um, let me pray as you find your way to Leviticus chapter 12. Lord, thank you for the fact that we can now fill our lungs and not waste that air on frivolous things. We can fill our lungs with the praise of the Lord. What a joy to hear your children sing out to you with lungs full of praise, Lord. There's strong lungs in here, and there's probably some weaker lungs. But regardless, the praise that comes out of that is for you. And we praise you for those things, Lord. Thank you that we can sing to you. Thank you that we are a church, a people saved by your grace that are not afraid to worship you and gather together, Lord. May you continue to strengthen us and gather people to your church, Lord, who long to sing those praises, long to know you through the study of God's word, Lord. And Father, if it be your will, use us, use this church to be a beacon, a lighthouse of truth of the gospel and the word of God. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this gathering. Bless each and everyone that are here. Lord, there's doubtlessly some that would like to be here or can't. Pray for those who are under care, hospital care, or whatever it may be that they can't be here. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen them. Lord, now help us and help me as we look at Leviticus 12. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Leviticus 12 is one of those passages I've seen there looming off in the future. Um, and I would read it every once in a while and go, I wonder what that means. <laughs> You know, so I had not stepped into the depths, deep study of it until this week. And, um, and yet, again, the Lord showed me just his gracious uh, understanding of this passage. And uh, not near as scary as I thought it would be. In fact, I learned so much. Uh, and certainly about the beauty of how God loves women and children. And so I entitled the sermon, God's Reconciling Love for Women and Children. And here we have birth and, and uncleanliness at times during that. And you look at that and you realize, wow, it almost seems unfair to women. And of course, a lot of people who don't study the word look at these passages and mock the Bible on this. But oh, I hope after tonight you'll see how gracious God is to women and to children. So Leviticus gives us this special attention. Leviticus 12 here is going to give special attention to moms and children and really particular moms, in a real great way. So again, we'll see that the gracious father is providing a way to himself um, in this ancient world, in this old covenant world, so that women can have a reconciliation with God. So what a beautiful text. Let's jump into it. First thought here, just three thoughts this this evening. Um, A covenant-keeping obedience and a God-gracious hand on Israelite mother, on the Israelite mother. So there's a covenant-keeping obedience we're going to see in here. But we're going to see God's gracious hand, particularly on these Hebrew women. Let's read verses 1 through 4 together. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, When a woman gives birth and bears a male child, and then she shall be unclean for seven days, and 
As in the days of her ministrations, uh, she shall be unclean. On the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall remove in the blood of her purification for 33 days, and she shall not touch any consecrated thing, nor enter the sanctuary until the days of her purification are complete. Well, here you see after a woman gives birth, particularly here in this part of the passage, to a male child, the woman is considered ceremonially unclean for seven days. And on the eighth day, she was to take this child, this male child, into the temple and there to be circumcised. Probably the greatest example that we see of the fulfillment of this law is found in Luke chapter 2, when Mary and Joseph, after this first period of uncleanliness, this first period, seven days of purification were over, Joseph and Mary obeyed the law, took the Lord Jesus Christ, and fulfilled the law in, in Luke chapter 2. Now, it also began Jesus' fulfillment of the law, the perfect fulfillment of the law, because he was circumcised on the eighth day, and he fulfilled the law in every aspect. He did not come to abolish it, he came to fulfill it. Now we get into circumcision a little bit, certainly we see where that starts in Genesis chapter 17, if you remember our study way back then. Um, it is there in chapter 17, verse 11 and 12, where God commands Abraham to circumcise all the males from that time forward. And it was given to the nation, and that's really where it began. And, and it was really a sign of the covenant between God and Abraham and his seed um, and all their future, future generations. Now, in other words, it was to remain with the nation of Israel because God had made a covenant with them. So again, it was something given to the nation in regards to the covenant. And so when they circumcised their children, or in that case, many of the adult men were circumcised at that point, it was an act of faith, and they were responding to God who had fulfilled his promises, and they were reacting to that. We will obey you as we fulfill our part in obedience. Now, it was a reminder also to the nation that they had entered this covenant with God. And God made a covenant. He put Abraham to sleep, of course, and separated the, the sacrifices and went through it saying, look, I and I alone will fulfill this covenant and praise God for that. But the circumcision was a, a, a moral response to God because he brought them out of slavery. He made them a nation and they were to be different than the rest of the world. Now, doubtlessly, there was a hygienic reason for circumcision as well. God blessed the nation in many ways. I read a study this week that was um, a, a five-year study done from, I think, 1947 to 1952. Um, they studied both history and uh, Jewish women at that point and who had had males circumcised in their in their families year after year after year through history, and they had the lowest rate of cervical cancer that women did um, because of that. So certainly God blessed the nation health-wise because of this, but it was, it was given as a, a response to God's covenant with them. Now, circumcision was certainly a physical act, as we would understand that, but it was a sign of the covenant demonstrating that they were not to put trust in their flesh, they were, they were to put trust in God. And man was all about his flesh in a lot of ways. So God was saying, you're not going to put trust in that. You're going to be trust in me and my covenant. Now, I also believe it was given to the nation 
as a reminder of the protection of the seed that was going to come. So there are health issues there, but God had a seed that was going to come down through Abraham all the way to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was ultimately a protection for the coming Messiah. Now, I want to just take one moment because there are covenant theology and a lot of other places seem to try to connect um, uh, circumcision with Christian baptism. And I want to just look at one text in the New Testament, uh, see where, they're com- where they kind of come from, but make an explanation there. Go to uh, Colossians chapter 2 with me. Verse 9, down through 14. Colossians 2, 9, For in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So right there, if you don't think Jesus had full deity of God, even while he was on this earth, this verse corrects you. So this flies in the face of all the Jehovah Witness and all the Mormons and all the, all the Muslims and all everybody else that says that Jesus isn't God, Right? So he's in full deity, even in bodily form. And then look at our position, verse 10. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over, rule, over all rule and authority. So right there we understand that we are complete in him, so we need to be careful that we're not adding something else to it, circumcision, baptism, or anything else. So the verse said you're complete. So, so if you're complete, that means you're not what? Lacking anything. All right, so very important. So this is good exegesis, right? We're working through to make sure we don't have a, a wrong view of how we handle baptism. Verse 11. And in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So just like so many things in the Old Testament, they were pointing to a greater act that was to come. Everything's flowing towards the cross, and not just the cross, but the result of the cross. And again, here we come to circumcision that, that is pointing to something greater that God was going to send his son and he was going to cut away the deadness in our life that no other physical thing you did could ever accomplish that. It is an amazing statement. And so in him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. This is the work of Christ. He cut away everything that would kill you. For eternity. Isn't that amazing? He made us complete. So, so we can't get the circumcision or baptism or the Lord's table or anything else to add to Jesus plus something is what the Bible's teaching is. And that's why you have to be very careful with some of the theologies that make their way around the church. And you have to have their antennas up and go, is that plus Jesus? <laughs> is there something plus Jesus? Oh, no, no. I believe in Christ alone. Through faith alone, by grace alone, through his word alone, for his glory alone. Please do not try to add something to my salvation. And so that's how we tackle these things. But but notice verse 12, and this is where some can get confused at. Having been buried with him in baptism. Now they're connecting this to verse 11, this circumcision here. So now they go, oh, baptism is the new circumcision, right? In which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and uncircumcised in your faith, he made you alive. <laughs> oh, isn't that great? New life. Together with him, having forgiven how much of our sins? All of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of the degrees against it, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way and has nailed it to the cross. That's a great mouthful, isn't it? 
What a beautiful set of verses. Now, certainly baptism is a response outwardly to what God has done inwardly. That's a very important thing. We have a baptismal behind those curtains, and we have them on Sunday nights. If you were here just a month ago, wow, what a day that was. Uh, as we saw, I think, nine people proclaim what Christ had done. So, so there's a response to what God has done inwardly, and it's this act of worship, what we call worshipful obedience to the Lord. But it is not an addendum. It does not add to our salvation. It is in response to our salvation. So Paul was instructing, and let me say this, after studying this a little more today and throughout this week, I think that's what circumcision was. I think it was a response to a covenant-keeping God. And it was a worshipful act, and yet it became part of a very legalistic way of, of being part of God's people, not seeing that God was still saving people. He's always saved people through faith alone. We have the saint, God does not change. He is immutable. And so we cannot connect circumcision to salvation of Old Testament saints in any way. Now, it was a response to the great covenant that God had done for them. So Paul was instructing that in Christ, there is a spiritual circumcision that cuts away our spiritual death and our transgressions of our flesh. And Paul's not saying that baptism is some sign of a covenant of of a Christian here under the new covenant. That's not what he's saying. Um, through the years, we planted several churches, and I remember sometimes we had some Reformed churches in the area that were, um, I'd say, maybe a little hyper-Reformed, um, Pedobaptist and baptism and so forth, uh, those type of things. And the, and the churches fell apart, and they heard that I taught the doctrines of grace, and so they would migrate over. And I remember one particular family was with us for quite some time, and, and um, their children were just unruly. And many of them had fallen away of the faith, and um, but believe they were saved because they were raised in this covenant theology that I'm in the covenant, I, 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 I was born into this family, I was circumcised, I did all these things, and so I'm in. And the parents really struggled. They said, why don't they love God? I said, they're not come by faith. They've come by you. <laughs> and it was interesting, one after one, many of them came to faith and and were baptized, and it was so fun to watch God work in their life. Some of them were very close friends with still even to this day, as they've really embraced to understand it is not who my family is and what I have done. It is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we have to be careful, even in our circles, because our children attend church with us, which is great. They come up in our children's ministry and our youth ministry and our homes and our discipleship and all the things we do, but they still have to come through that narrow gate of Christ alone, through faith alone, through grace alone. And if you throw things in their way, and this is why parents have to be careful that you're not working on the outside all the time, there should be responses, right? But, but working on that heart because it's so easy for them to say, hey, what do you want? I go to church. You know, I believe your stuff. Oh, no, we want it to come from the heart. Now, the way we understand this is in Genesis 17, those who were born physically to that covenant, they were to be circumcised. But under the new covenant, no one is born physically into the new covenant. My, my children are new covenant believers because they were born to Gene and I. They're new covenant believers because God saved them and by faith they believed and came to him through grace alone and certainly only through Christ alone. Now, we're born again as, as children because we believe that. And that's what Paul's trying to say. Look, you have been buried with him in baptism. You've been fully immersed in Christ. 
And that's why baptism is such a beautiful thing. That's why we tell you, come on a Sunday night, pack the building out, see what God's doing. There's these people standing here saying, I'm fully immersed in Jesus Christ and I belong to him. And so what a beautiful thing that Paul was trying to do. So we want to be careful connecting some of those things. But I do believe that what we see in Leviticus 12 is a reminder of the transmission of sin. So you have these women, they're having babies. With babies comes blood and in cycles and all the stuff we know about women. And I want to talk fast about this. Um, <laughs> and in all of that, we begin to realize that here, there's something going on here where there's um, in a way, the, nat- the sin nature of man being passed down to the child and so forth, and that child's going to have children and so forth, and this sin nature that we, that we received at the fall keeps transmitting past us and on to our children. Well, Romans makes this very clear. Romans chapter 5, verse 19, For as through one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. David, in his own sin, looking at Psalms 51, said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin my mother conceived me. He saw it back to the womb, the fallen state of man, all the way to conception. Later, in Psalms 58.3, he said, The wicked go estranged from the womb. These who speak lies go astray from birth. We can see the natural progression of depravity when people are born. So my mom would say, and you heard me say this before, she'd call and say, when the boys were little, how are my little angels doing? I'd say, fallen. Pray for them. They need Jesus. You know. That was what we told her all the time. And she said, I know, but they're so precious and so innocent to me. I go, yeah, you're a grandparent. Now I am. And I look at mine and go, man, they're beautiful. <laughs> you know, I love them. Um, listen, what happens here is we learn to understand that Moms and dads, you parents in here, we got a bun in the oven somewhere just talking to some this morning or this evening. We give birth to sinners. I think that's what the heart of this text is. We give birth to little sinners. Because sins pass down from Adam to us, to our children. And so here is this gracious God providing a way temporarily. Remember that all of the Old Testament, I keep saying this over and over, we go through the sacrificial system. God has provided a temporary reconciliation for people so they can be right with God. And listen what he's doing in this text. He says, moms, I know you live in an ancient world. I know you, it doesn't seem fair when people look at the Bible at least, but I love you and I'm going to provide a way, even through your uncleanness and all that you're going through, I'm going to provide a unique way for you to be reconciled to me and your child. Temporarily, until Jesus comes, but I'm going to provide a way. It's God being extremely gracious to the ancient women of the nation of Israel. Let me go back to Hebrews, I mean, Romans chapter 5, verse 19, and read this all the way through a few verses. For as though, as though through one man disobedience, many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of one, because that's where this is all pointing to, he's the final sacrifice, right? The final reconciling work of God was Jesus Christ. And so through the obedience of one, the many were made righteous. And the law came in so that the transgression would increase. And people say, well, What's the law's purpose? Well, the law's purpose certainly was to show that God's character is holy and perfect. That's bar none, right? But the law comes in to show that we're sinners. That's why we still preach on sin in this church. In a sense, you can say we're preaching on the law when we preach on sin. And so it's to, it's to heighten the need for a Savior. 
See, this is the trouble in so many churches today. They don't teach on sin. That's a terrible three-letter word. They'll teach them in their, in their very liberal seminaries never to bring that up because you're not going to put you know, butts in the seats and coins in the fountain. I mean, that's not going to happen if you, if you do that. But we preach the law because here, the Bible says this. Look, the law came so that the transgression would increase. So where sin increases, what? Grace abounds all the more. Oh, you look at your sin. Grace is beautiful. You know why grace isn't beautiful to a lot of people? Because they're always looking at somebody else's sin. They're always worried about somebody else. You look at your sin and look into the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, grace is just full of mercy. And we love to talk about grace. So that sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign. This is the final reign, grace. Sin's only going to have a run for so long through the righteousness to the eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So back to our text in Leviticus 12. Notice here in the text that this woman has now given birth to a male child and she now is unclean for a certain amount of days. Now notice it says 33 days for her purification. So now we come back to this woman that God is extremely concerned about. And so this Hebrew woman gives birth to this son, so she's ceremonially unclean. It would last for 33 days, plus the seven original days. And so she's, she's unclean for a total of 40 days. Ceremonially, she's impure, uh, she's impure and has impurity after giving birth to a child. Now, there's several reasons why this is in the Bible here and why this is so important. But one that is so often overlooked when people get to this because they automatically start thinking, this isn't fair. See, anytime you come to the Bible and don't like what it says, you're going to have a hard time interpreting it. <laughs> isn't that true? Well, I don't like that. <laughs> well, well, that's going to really take your view of this. So, so let me give you some, something that I think is really beautiful here. What's often overlooked is God's graciousness to healing and protection of this Hebrew woman. God wants her healed, and God wants her protected. In a sense, she is receiving, in, in a very different way than today, um, a maternity leave. God is going to let her body rest and, and keep her away from the crowds, both socially and religiously, for 40 days with a son. He's protecting her. Now, how many moms would appreciate that in this room? I mean, I read this and I thought, you know, I think this is probably really cool if you're a woman. <laughs> this, is, this is now God showing his kindness. And this would have caused her to not participate in so many things. And it might even fall on a festival. She would have to stay back, but, you know, maybe that's good. The relatives are coming. <laughs> and I get to be here and heal up with my child. So I'm looking at Leviticus 12 totally different. You know, I'm seeing the kindness of God. You know, and I look at this, I go, God, I've been seeing this all the way through from 11 chapters. Why didn't I see this? This is you protecting women. This is you caring for her in a very gracious way. Now, there certainly is loss of blood when birth happens, and, and, and certainly blood is sacred, to God and sacred to the nation. They were taught that life was in the blood and a loss of blood often meant loss of life. And so, so it's, there's, there is another analogy here that we start to understand. 
And, and childbirth was associated with blood. I really enjoyed staying up at the upper end during all of that time. <laughs> so I didn't pass out. But, uh, but there's a loss of blood there. And, and that blood, the only time blood was good was in the righteous way of coming to God through a sacrifice of a perfect animal that was given in the substitute of that person. All other times, the Bible really looks down on it. Because he wants people to understand and acknowledge. And think about this. He wants people to understand the sanctity of life. And so I think this woman who would certainly lost blood during this birth. God was requiring her purification. So she would understand and acknowledge this life that God had given her. Slow down. Stop, step out of society and religious festivals and, and acknowledge that I've given you life. I think the 21st century would see this as unfair to women. When they read this, maybe we did. And they see these ancient Hebrew women and, and they don't understand, but it's God removing her from the everyday hardships, giving her time with this newborn Why she worships God for this life that was given to her. And yes, she's going through a cleansing time because God wanted to understand that blood and death and all of that was because of sin and, 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 and she's now produced a, another sinner. He wants her to take time to understand that so he will come to her, he will co- she will come to him in a right way. Now, doubtlessly, she understood at some level, I, I believe this is the main message, that there's a transmission of the sin nature here. But she was to receive this gracious act by God to bring her back into reconciliation. And we're going to see the sacrifice that she is to be made as God protects her and restores her back to a right relationship with him. Well, notice in verse 4 it says, Not to touch any consecrated thing or enter the sanctuary until her days of purification are complete. Um, as wonderful as having the new baby under the old covenant <laughs> might have been or difficult it might have been. God wanted her to remember that every birth was another sinner brought into this world. And, and sin sets people apart from God. And so even in that, it was another, another thing I thought through. I thought even in that, he wanted them set apart to realize that that time of, of purification, she was not allowed next to God. He's loving her. He's protecting her. He's going through all those things to show her that he loves her. But he's also showing her the depth of sin. And so... This time was both for healing and worship and understanding sin and a holy God. Now, finally, just to close out this point, these next two are really quick. Um, I, I think about Mary, um, the mother of Jesus. Um, what an amazing thing this is. We're coming into the Christmas season soon. I can't believe it, but it is almost here. Um, is that Mary was inhibited from transferring her sin nature to Jesus Christ. And that's because Joseph wasn't involved in this. He was pushed aside in a sense. And the Holy Spirit conceived in the womb of Mary the Christ child. And so this sin nature, which every woman to the point tell for the previous you know, 4,000 years plus, would have always passed the sin nature of themselves and their husband onto that child. And for the first time in history, that sin nature is not pushed on. Because God placed that child in the womb outside of their sinful natures. And Jesus Christ was born sinless. 
But her obedience to fulfill the law led to so much. She obeyed God, and she was a righteous woman. And so God used her to bring that child into this world and to bring Jesus in natural birth so that Jesus would suffer like us. But then Mary and Joseph obey the, obey the, the law, and they go, and they fulfill the law, and that allows Jesus Christ to fulfill the law that he's circumcised on the eighth day. And then they meet Simeon and Anna and, and all that beautiful story that goes because a woman chose to obey God. What a beautiful text this reminds us how God loves womanhood. And he's always used them to bring great glory to himself. Second thought, God gives special attention to the role of womanhood. Look at verse 5. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean for two weeks. As in her menstruation, then she, and she shall remain in the blood of her purification for 66 days. Now, this is interesting. The period of purification is now doubled in the case of a female child. Again, I read this months ago and said, i got to figure out why. <laughs> and as I began to study and read many theologians on this, we start to realize that everything's doubled. 14 days, she's considered unclean, 66 days for her purification. In other words, giving birth to a female child, granted the mother, now this is where I kind of landed, a double time of maternity leave. <laughs> because she was not allowed to socially interact with people. She was not allowed to go to festival and temple and all of those things. She was pulled out of society with this female baby, this little one, for now 66 plus 14 days, double the days than a male child. Now the period, the longer period of time, is not to be understood as a punishment. And this is fun to think about. But for a, this was for a time of worship and understanding that she was a sinner and that she was passing this on. But uniquely, what, what I think God is doing here, and I read a lot on this, and a lot of men that I really respect to help get my mind around this, is that most theologians believe that this time was given for her to understand that she has now brought another female into the world who herself now will reproduce and bring more sinners into the world. And it was a time for her to contemplate God and how God reconciles her with her sacrifices, her burnt offering and her sin offerings and her wave offerings and so forth that she brings, that she is to teach this young one how to come to God, that this young one would be a sinner as well. And it, and it puts the importance, and what I love about this, is it puts the importance on moms. <laughs> it puts a highlights the role of biblical uh, womanhood here. I want, you to be, I want you to be outside of society and all the religious festivals for, for twice the time because I want you to see that women now bring the next batch of sinners into the world. And so you, you, Hebrew woman, you get with God during this time and you be reconciled with him and walk with him and be prepared to teach your little girl how to come to God. What a powerful thought to understand that God had a role for women in a fallen world. He had a, he had a role. And I also understand here that, that God was giving them more time to focus on this God-centered start of these baby girls. Personally, you can't help but catch the great time of bonding that must have been. Um, 
I watch Gina with her mom, and even my mom, just the unique bond that women have with their daughters. There's, there's just a bond there that they love in most cases. And, and then you begin to think about how the world just, just runs down Christian womanhood. And yet, God, in his infinite wisdom, before the foundations of the world, said, I'm going to bring my son through a woman. And yes, in the fall, the Bible's clear, a woman is easily deceived, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and so women are, husbands are to be godly, Christ-like men, and guard them of that. But there, they are to submit to their husbands, but God used them in a great plan. Last thought, and just real quick here. There's a great hope in Christ for mothers and children. Well, notice here that God provides for them, verses 6 through 8. Then, when the days of her purification are complete for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the doorway of the tent a meaning, a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or turtle dove for a sin offering. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, and she shall be cleansed from her flow of blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, whether male or female. But if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves and two young pigeons, the one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she will be clean. Well, here this woman's sin offering is brought to the altar at the, at the appointed time after her purification. She offers it through the priest as a burnt offering. And remember, the burnt offering was a broad recognition of the principle that she was a sinner. She's repenting and God was accepting if she came God's way. And after this, God granted her the special sin offering that she was to bring in the form of a young pigeon or turtle dove here. And many theologians really recognize this as she's not only bringing this for herself, but for this young child that's not understanding yet to bring this as well. And so God graciously, in his plan of redemption in the Old Covenant, made a way for them and the next generation to understand till Christ came of how to come to him. Now quickly, verse 8 is fascinating because there you see all mothers were to respond this way even in their poverty. And look how gracious God was. And he, he said, if they can't bring a lamb, that there's a, they can bring these turtle doves. And when you study Luke chapter 2, guess what Joseph and Mary brought? Turtle doves. That means they were poor. It means they didn't have much. And so it gives us some insight into the humiliation and the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Here the creator of all things. He empties himself um, in such a way that his parents are compared to are compelled to offer the lowest form of offering because that's all they have. F.B. Myers, writing on this, said this. He said, Jesus, he stooped low that we might rise. He emptied himself that we might be full, became poor that we might become rich, was made human that we might become divine. That just blew me away as I read that in Luke 2. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't remember that. They brought turtle doves. They were poor. They were poor. No wonder he sings, sends the kings with all of their spices and money to help them. God provided for them. Notice finally it says, And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she will be clean. Well, this marks the end of her ceremonial uncleanness. She's now pure before God. God made a way for a woman to be pure. He thought about it. He protected her, set her apart for a time. He made a way for her to be pure. These passages are not about ripping on women in the Old Testament because God didn't care about them. They're full of God's graciousness to women whom he 
loves. God was clearly marking out from the beginning the need for salvation for them and their children. So God gave the woman who bore the child in this ancient world not only rest for a few days after childbirth, but most important, he gave her and her child a way to be reconciled through the blood of another. Her blood made her impure, but now there was a blood of another who would substitute for her and her child. That's glorious, isn't it? That's our God. Look at the graciousness in the Old Testament. Let's quit because people are mad at me already. Um, all right, Father, thank you for this time. We're so glad to meet together. Lord, we are th- so thankful that from the beginning, you have always been a God who saves by faith alone. And so these women were taught as you cared for them and gave them rest to put their faith that they could be reconciled from their impurity. And though they brought another sinner into the world, you had made a way for them to be right and their child to be right with you. That's just pure graciousness, God. Thank you that you love the role of biblical womanhood, that you use it so uniquely to bring glory to you. I pray that the women of RCC here would be women who appreciate and use their role to bring you great glory. Lord, thank you for the women of this church. Thank you that you see all and treat us all equally as joint heirs of grace in Jesus Christ. Lord, now as we transition to our meeting, Lord, may you be gracious to us. And and as we uh, expound on the things that we see you doing here, may it be received as it is given. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.